0: It's only a kick, a jump,
1: a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After
2: all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light.
3: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, October 28th. You guys of course hearing this on Tuesday morning, October 29th. There are two games maximum left of the 2019 baseball season as the Astros lead the Nationals 3-2 to in the World Series as we record this. So either by the end of Tuesday night or Wednesday night, the baseball season will be over, we will have a new champion, and the offseason will begin in full steam. We will talk about what to look forward to, some important dates, and just the general processes that'll happen as soon as the World Series is over, because that is when the Cubs rejoin the fold of things going on in the baseball world. But today we're going to start, Brendan, kind of where we ended our last podcast, and we're going to talk more David Ross, because the Cubs on Monday morning introduce the 55th manager in team history, david ross he will wear number three as he did when he was a player and that process now i guess uh, officially over he got the jersey from theo he did the press conference he is officially in charge of the chicago cubs dugout so brendan and I, I i wanted to start there we get the press conference from him And I I will throw it to you first. Uh, It's certainly just a press conference, and usually with these things, not a lot goes on, and I think it would be surprising one way or the other if there was anything either really positive or really negative because generally it's just answering pretty blasé questions from the media – thanking everybody for the job, saying you're excited, et cetera. But did you have any reactions one way or another to hearing from our new fearless leader? When you look back at that press conference, the
2: speed at which Ross responds to each question is immediate. There's no thinking he knows the answers right away, Corey. So that, to me, suggests he's prepared, he's ready, he's thought these things through. And in his opening statement, he led off by saying, look, I know there's criticism about my inexperience as being a manager, and these are my reasons why that's not an issue. And those included years as a backup catcher, learning from many managers around him, like Bobby Cox and Joe Maddon, etc. So Ross knew all the criticisms ahead of time, and he led this press conference with a tangible sense of enthusiasm, something that we as fans have always known to expect for Ross to bring, and overall, there wasn't really anything surprising per se. I will say some of the new things that I thought were informative were, one, they talked about the road woes last year, and they asked, hey, what, Ross, can you do to fix this, and his interpretation was general but still informative. And he thinks just the process, the preparation on the road needs to be changed. That's something that's not completely unknown to us, but something that was one of his main points, which I thought was interesting. Overall, not many things to take away from, but the the tone that Ross set was noticeable, and I think overall in the next few weeks. We know Ross is looking outside of the organization for new hires, so that means will Mark Loretta come back? Will Will Venable come back? Will Brian Butterfield come back? I think those three coaches in particular stand out to me, and for for that specific part of the press conference, I think that was the most newsworthy.
3: Yeah, I I, I agree with you there, and I, I think I think he did really well. And again, like. It's just a press conference, and as we've said for some of the press conferences that Theo has done, like, a lot of this stuff you don't have to take as gospel. It's just a press conference. A lot of it is just kind of those cliches and and getting that stuff out there and answering simple questions from the media. But I think he did really well in so much as you can do really well at something like this. And as I was telling you before we jumped on, Brendan, what what I really liked from David (laughs) in this press conference was that he really— was very strong in his answers to the several questions that alluded to his friendships with the players on the team his his past relationships and that kind of grandpa fun role that he occupied in 2016 he he was very strong in those answers And fast with his responses, too. That was a thing. There was no, like, thinking about it.
2: He knew exactly what he wanted to communicate and the way that he
3: wanted to communicate, which was, I think, noticeable, at least from my point of view. Of course. And he was not having any suggestion of the buddy stuff or that he wasn't going to be able to be their coach and not their friend. He was very strong in those answers, usually saying something along the lines of, look, like... I am these guys' friend, but now I'm their manager, and I am here to win. And if people are doing things that are not what I am asking of them, what I'm expecting of them, and what we need to be doing to win, that is not going to be acceptable. I don't care who it is. And I just really appreciate that he was very strong in those answers, because you could tell that, obviously, I think that's... a. a, a top if not the number one concern maybe just the lack of managerial experience but it's a top concern uh, amongst the concerns that that people have for this hire and I appreciated his ability like you said he was very quick in these answers and very quick to be strong in saying look this is not happening okay I get the concern I understand where it comes from but this is how I'm going to do things and whether these guys are my friends or not doesn't matter this is what we're going to do with the Chicago Cubs, and people better get on board with it, or I'm going to call them out, or they're not going to play, or they're going to hear from me about it. So I, I, I really liked that from Ross today. And before we delve into some of the other finer points, and and uh, you know, I guess wrap up all we've been talking about lately is David Ross. So I, I, I guess I, I don't know how much more we can even really do. But oh, yeah, it could be worse. So yeah, no. there's definitely worse things to be talking about. <laughs> right. Yes, the Phillies are talking about Joe Girardi. So if you oh. want to go listen to those podcasts, be my guest. Yeah, but go for it. I just wanted to read uh, this tweet from Kelly Krull, where she she pointed out that Ross said today that one of the first texts he received on Monday morning uh, as he was getting ready for his press conference was from number 34, the lefty John Lester, and he said, quote, Enjoy your day, Manager David. And <laughs> I can't tell you the the size of the smile uh, that that put on my face, Brendan. And I and I just imagine John typing that with kind of like a sarcastic smirk smirks. on his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, no doubt, and you know Ross is laughing at that too. Yeah. But uh, I I think from day one, like that will be one of the most you know worthy of following scenarios out there is how does Ross communicate with John Lester and some of these other guys. And Ross did say in this press conference, "You should have heard our conversations." And he's talking about he and Lester on the mound during the game because the whole grandpa, fun-loving Rossi would not have been a thing if he were mic'd up during those scenarios. Right. You can imagine like what those two were talking about, and that's that is a plus. Like their ability and other Cubs players' abilities to be honest in their communication with David Ross. And vice versa with Ross's communication with the players is a valuable commodity, and Ross even said that that's not a con. the The, the fact that they know these guys, or you know, Rossen knows all these players, and they've had this history. That's a that's a pro. You're already ahead of the curve communicating with each and every one of these guys individually and Ross even said that about guys who have native languages with English that's not their first language copy Baez and others like he knows how to communicate with those guys in particular in addition to his years of experience working with so many guys of different backgrounds so I think like top to bottom you knew what Ross was going to bring but the fact that he was fast with the responses witty with some of the responses that was what you expected. I think reassuring of the hire, at least from like a media perspective and how he's going to handle questions being asked and how he's going to handle the responses and some of the criticism he might receive on the way.
3: Yeah, so overall, I I thought that this was pretty innocuous stuff, but it was a good job by Ross, and and I, I I did appreciate him kind of alluding to what may be the things he needs to get better on. You know, talking about how he doesn't have this experience and he may lean on on veteran coaches that that they have or that they bring in to kind of help him along the way, and that he does. Has
2: mean a, that has to mean a new bench coach too,
3: right? I would like think it, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, you it, it, probably it, pair him up with that. I, I we don't know. if... If Mark Loretta is going to end up getting hired as a manager somewhere, uh, but it it did sound as though that that was going to be a position that w- was going to be filled uh, again the, this off season, and I, I think we've said on here before, or maybe just in my other discussions, and I just forgot, but. I I do think that getting a veteran, so, and Ross alluded to this in, in, in the press conference, like having a veteran, it doesn't have to be someone that has been a manager for 20 years or, or someone with the most experience in the world. But I, I think that Ross being able to have the ear and have someone in his ear that has that managerial experience to lean on so that Ross can use his intuition, his gut, and his own experience, but have somebody that's done this before. I I do think that's going to be really important, especially if we're assuming that Anthony Iaposi stays as the hitting coach and Tommy Haddovey stays as the pitching coach. You know, those guys don't have all that major league experience. Tommy they're, They're both younger guys, and I think they're great at their jobs, but I think Ross having somebody that he can lean on that has done this before or been close to this before would be really valuable for him in making this transition as he grows as a manager. Yeah,
2: I was looking at how
3: teams like the Red Sox
2: and the Yankees, how they paired up their rookie managers, and in particular, the Yankees bringing in like Josh Bard, who has no managerial experience, was a bullpen coach for many years, played for 10 years in the game as well. I don't know if someone with an exhaustive history of managerial experience is the way to go. Like I saw Ron Washington's name being brought up. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go. Maybe bringing in someone who's a little bit more experienced on the coaching side of things but not really in the managerial chair, so to speak, might be useful. But I think bringing in Tommy Hattavi or bringing back Tommy Hattavi, keeping Anthony Iaposi and maintaining at least a sense of continuity from a skill perspective, I know Hattavi had – Great success with Darvish as the year went on. Had good success with Kyle Hendricks and many other guys. i I, I rather him them keep that sense of continuity. Um, the Yankees had Larry Rothschild, which was a bonus, a veteran in, in the coaching spheres for a while. I don't see the Cubs going out there and filling those roles with veteran-type guys. I think this will be a young coaching staff, which is a benefit in my opinion. I would not be surprised if Will Venable leaves elsewhere to get maybe a little higher-ranking job with a different team. He wants to be a manager eventually anyway, but I would love to have Venable back. I I think where my focus goes is that bench coach. I doubt Loretta will be back, but I, I don't see anywhere else where you can look. and be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to be a bench coach, and I don't think you have to be a manager as your history to fill that role. Maybe someone that has years managing or rather coaching behind the scenes like a bullpen coach or like a catching coordinator or someone in that regards who knows how to manage
3: each player individually on a daily basis. That might be beneficial for us. He was poised and for his first go at this with the media as a manager obviously he's had experience over the last few years working with ESPN so I think that certainly helps but he's always been someone that has has been a good communicator and I think that showed in the press conference today and uh, as as it ended you could hear Theo in the microphone as they were shaking hands the, the microphone picked up him saying good job that was awesome <laughs> and I agreed yeah. I thought he did a really nice job so Again, it, there really wasn't anything noteworthy. I, I think I watched the entire thing, but I, I maybe I missed something. But the, the the media didn't really hit him with any tough questions. It was pretty I was much,
2: surprised by that. Like, yeah, I thought was, he would get a few more nitty-gritty questions, yeah, but they were pretty surface level. Pretty
3: on the surface and really what you would yeah. have expected. Like I said, a lot of kind of alluding to getting away from 2016, how do you manage guys that you're friends with and we're buddies with, it, it really, what, you know, you haven't done this before, etc. like there really wasn't anything that was particularly hard hitting or, or anything that I thought was like a landmine for him to navigate through. So it, I think all in all, pretty innocuous. Um, the, the only other thing that I would note, and, and we kind of knew this just from his experience, but Ross did allude to the many experiences experienced and high-level managers that he he's played for and 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 you know played under joe madden one of them of course terry francona and I, i thought it was just good to hear him say like look you know i've i've had experience playing and working very closely with some very accomplished managers and i plan to learn from them i've been in a lot of these conversations i know they were showing uh on the MLB Network when I was watching earlier a clip from the World Series where Ross, Chris Bosio, and Joe Madden were discussing something in the dugout. And, you know, it just makes you think, like, especially being the catcher and being such a, a catcher like Ross who's calling a lot of these games, using his perceptions to kind of dictate the way things are going with certain pitchers, you know, I thought it was good to hear him allude to that like i i may not have the direct experience of being a coach or a manager but i've been i've been around a lot of really accomplished guys and i've been in a lot of these in-game tactical conversations and i plan to lean on that so i did like hearing him say that and when you look at the resume of the people that he has played for it makes a lot of sense. He's played for a lot of very accomplished managers and teams yeah. that have, have done a lot of very impressive stuff, so I, that, that I did like, but other than that, it was pretty standard fare. Uh, it was good to get those, you know, I got the notification on my phone that there's a new tweet from the Chicago Cubs, and it was the the live press conference feed, yeah. and I, I miss getting those notifications on a daily basis, so it was good to have some Cubs stuff back in the fold, and uh now we will get ready to wrap up this world series and kick this off season into gear. So I I think that's a a good place to transition, Brendan, as again, like I said in the outset, the Astros, as we record this on Monday night, have a 3-2 to lead. The home team has not won any games in the World Series, which is always interesting. And so that means that there are two games left. The season is either going to end with an Astros win on Tuesday or somebody winning in Game 7 on Wednesday. And then Thursday, things really start to kick into gear. The, the calendar switches to the off season. The clock kind of starts on some of this stuff, and I guess we need to kind of prepare ourselves for that, Brendan. Uh, and not a lot of particularly eye popping decisions, I guess, for the Cubs. Uh, you know, we we kind of know who the free agents are. It's it's not really any of the core guys, unless you're you know worried about Nick Castellanos. But we'll we'll get there. But I think what we got to make sure we do is we won't talk to you again before Wednesday night comes and goes and somebody has won the World Series. So want to make sure that you guys are prepped for what's going to go on here and 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 what we need to be looking at as far as the Cubs are concerned. So the first thing that is going to happen is uh, a day after the World Series ends, players can file for free agency. So there will be uh, some guys like uh, Nick Castellanos who will be doing that. And then there is a short period where the teams can negotiate with their own free agents and see if they can get something done, but they can't sign anybody yet. The MLB timeline is a little tricky, but it starts immediately after this World Series ends. So that's why we want to talk about this stuff. So Brendan, as you're looking at this and we're looking at the Cubs roster, again, like most of the key players, right, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, etc., they're not going to be involved in a lot of these discussions, but there are certain players who have options that are going to need to be dealt with, certain players that are going to be free agents. So anything really standing out to you in this initial period that you you really have your eyes on, or are you just ready to get this off season going?
1: It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Well, for the Cubs' perspective,
2: there's not many unknowns. You know, with Cole Hamels likely not coming back, we would be shocked if the Cubs offered him a qualifying offer of $17.4 million. That's just not going to happen. And with others like Castellanos, you cannot offer him a qualifying offer. He's going to be a free agent. And with Ho- with uh, Jose Quintana, you know you're going to pick up his player option and either keep him or because he is on a team-friendly deal, maybe that's trade fodder for other teams. So we know what the Cubs are going to do. And the free agent market this year, at least for starting pitchers, there's a lot of interesting like, mid-rotation Names just go to MLB trade rumors, go to the 2019, 2020 free agents, and they jump off the board at you, right? So, I think for Jose Quintana, having only 10.5 million attached to his name, that's a great price for like your fourth and fifth starter, which is what he's been for the past few years. And I would, of course, welcome back Jose Quintana underneath that type of contract. At the same time, other pitchers on the market are going to demand maybe a little bit more, but you might be able to get someone similar who's a little bit riskier, but maybe at a better price. And because the market is so you know mid-tier heavy in those pitchers, on the same side, other teams may want to go out and look at Jose Quintana in a trade. Maybe they're more comfortable giving up other pieces of surplus, like a position player for Jose Quintana as well. So I think my main focus, at least for the Cubs in terms of these next few weeks, is they're going to pick up hosting Katana's option and what that means for his trade presence elsewhere because this is going to be like a rapid rumor season, I think. I think this offseason will be a lot different than last year because there's no main guys on top that I think are going to stand in the way of trades. I know you have Garrett Cole, I know you have Anthony Rendon, but last year... It was, okay, when is Manny Machado going to sign? And is he going to sign before Bryce Harper? Right. And is that going to set the market up? So you don't have these like competing position players or competing pitchers trying to buy for the market or trying to set the tone for the rest of the market. I don't think we're going to get that this year, which means, one, I think the trade rumors will be popping right away. And two, I don't think we're going to get these late uh, offseason deals. I think it's going to move relatively fast. I really do. And I'm looking forward specifically on especially that non-tender deadline when other guys like Addison Russell, he's not not coming back. And other guys from other teams. I think around that last week in November, once the GM meetings end, once the non-tender deadline passes, once these guys decline their... Uh, qualifying offers. We're going to look at that time, and it's going to be pretty busy, I think. I, I would be surprised if we're going to go through another offseason with waiting for guys to sign weeks before the season begins, at least the big guys. But you never know. Baseball, the last few years have been insane, so it, it's it's difficult to predict.
3: Yeah, I certainly hope so. I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think this, this go around, you have a pretty clear top pitcher and you have a pretty clear top hitter and right. i think that, that that that'll kind of make it a little easier like you said as you're not dealing with competing position players or competing pitchers uh kind of vying for which one wants to make the move first and maybe risk getting the lesser deal of the two so that does kind of set the stage i mean there's guys that the cubs have to make those decisions on with 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 the options uh, and I, I wouldn't really expect anything exciting. I, I know there's been some discussion about Jose Quintana. I think it's it's fair to say that, in, in so much as the price the Cubs paid for him, he has not particularly been uh, at the level that most of us would have hoped for. Uh, but I think a ten and a half million, which is you know around where his option is. I'm not. I'm not. The, the Cubs are going to have to get pitching somewhere. So whether they pick that up and they decide to trade him and make some moves around it, uh, I, I've seen some suggestion, at least in in some corners, that maybe it would be worthwhile to not pick it up. But I'm. I, I, don't really agree with that unless you have a pretty solid plan as to where you're going to get those innings from. And because you can tr- you can trade Q as well right. if you are operating
2: from a surplus. I mean, 10.5 million for Q right. is appealing to other teams who have yes. more
3: flexibility, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I don't really think that any of this is, is going to be particularly exciting on that front for the Cubs And then again, after that period uh, where you can negotiate with your own free agents, you know, so about six days-ish, seven days after the World Series is when free agents... you know, it gets going and stuff can happen and and people can start striking deals. So that's when things are going to get really interesting. But in this offseason too, and and we heard a rumor today about the Dodgers maybe trying to maneuver to get Francisco Lindor from the Indians. We've heard about the Boston Red Sox desire perhaps to move Mookie Betts a year before he's a free agent. So there could be some really interesting things going on in this particular offseason. And you, you have some teams that are just in Interesting positions in that regard, and I, you know, I think Boston is certainly one of them. And you look at how Boston and the Cubs both don't make the playoffs. You know, both of the two top payroll teams in the league. So, what are they going to do to get themselves back? Uh, Boston now has you know new front office management. And it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. So I, I think this offseason has the potential to see some real movement among some of these guys and maybe some some new faces in new places. But I think what we should talk about, Brendan, is this Chris Bryant grievance situation. Uh, I think this is an important thing, and it, it will, for better or worse, inform the Cubs' Off season, and so basically the long and short of it I, I i would assume that most of you are abreast of this issue as when it happened but you know like other teams have done the cubs are certainly not the only team to do this uh in fact almost everybody does this uh but they you know held chris bryant down for that extra what was it literally a day uh <laughs> yeah. to quote work on his defense and and that gained them an extra year in service time so that he is a free agent in two years from now rather than one year. And the grievance that is being heard currently is basically Chris Bryant and Scott Boris, his agent, saying they manipulated this service time in bad faith. They knew he was ready. They waited until he was literally you know, a day after so that he could get that extra year of service time before becoming a free agent. And we don't think that's right. We think we should get that year back. And obviously the Cubs disagree. So I would be very surprised. I would be shocked if this is overturned and and Chris Bryant and Scott Boris win this particular case. So I I don't think that that is going to change. Uh, But One thing that I wanted to point out that's important here to note is that this has always been something that Bryant and Boris have suggested was going to happen. So like when this news came out that this grievance was being heard, there there was a lot of backlash against Bryant. Oh, this means he's not going to resign. This means he hates the Cubs, yada, yada. And that is not what it means. I I, I I sort of understand where that comes from, but they have long said that they've talked to the front office. I think they got over it. They understand how the game works, right? Again, the Cubs are not the only team to do this. Chris Bryant wasn't the first person that this happened to. But the they feel responsible, as Chris Bryant is a reminder, one of the best players in Major League Baseball, in case you've forgotten or refused to believe that, Uh, they feel responsible to the rest of the players to be a case for this in trying to get this change with the collective bargaining agreement, etc. So I, I don't think this reflects anything really with his relationship with the Cubs or his desire to be a Cub long term. I think what this reflects is Chris Bryant as a player and certainly Scott Boris as an agent don't like the MLB team's ability to manipulate service time like this and get away with it when guys are clearly ready and viable options to be called up to the major league level just to ensure that extra year of before they hit free agency. So I I don't think it reflects anything about their relationship. This has always been something that Boris and Bryant have not liked and said that they wanted to be part of the change for. And, and again, as one of the best players in the league and, and someone who this ha- has happened to, I think Chris feels a responsibility to at least have this heard and present his case and, and try to push things in the direction that this doesn't continue happening to players going forward. But, before, And I'll throw it to you here, Brendan, like what's important is obviously if this is overturned, Chris Bryant is only a Cub for another season. So that would greatly affect their offseason and I think we've heard that they expect to have a resolution by the winter meetings but obviously the Cubs are going into this offseason with the potential at the very least whether it's likely or unlikely that that gets changed so that's a big deal for for them approaching this offseason
1: yeah
2: I've always been a little surprised that people think Brian like hates the Cubs And I've seen a lot of pushback, as you said, Corey, on Twitter saying, hey, this is a prime example. Bryant does not want to come back. He has no loyalty to the Cubs, blah, 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 right? That's just not true. And he was asked not even a year ago. I forgot when it was during uh, the early part of the season. But he was asked about his relationship with Scott Boris and his desire to stay with Chicago, or rather make his own decisions. And Brian said, like, yeah, like, Boris works for me. He's going to work for me. Doesn't mean that he's going to go out and try to get the most money. Maybe maybe that's the case. But at the very least... Bryant, if he wants to stay with the Cubs, he's already hinted that he would love to stay with the Cubs. And he's not maybe gonna go out there and try to get the most money. We don't we don't really know. He's always had a good relationship, I think, with teammates, with coaches, and even with Theo Epstein. And we've you know, we've been told like behind closed doors that Bryant really genuinely wants to stay a cup. Whether that ends up happening with the business side of things, you just don't know. But Brian's decision, and which is more or less Scott Boris' decision to file the grievance, it's been four years in the making, man. This is a four-year process. Nothing's changed from now in 2016. Not, nothing's changed. So that's not, not going to change either Brian's future with the Cubs unless he wins that grievance. Because if he does win that grievance, which I would be blown away, absolutely blown away, then okay, maybe making uh, decisions of whether to trade him or talk about him in a serious sense to trade him. May- maybe that is more realistic, but I just doubt that happens. This is a precedent-setting grievance, and I think it's going to set the stage once once the CBA goes back into negotiations after 2021, before 2021. That's it's more of a precedent-type thing, saying, "Hey, we filed this, we lost this, we're getting screwed, we need to make changes." Right away, because Bryant is one of several guys who've also been sort of unfortunately screwed by this, the the current CBA. I mean, yeah, you're you're missing out on you know dozens of millions of dollars because of these rules, and that's Scott Boris's intention. So my, overall, my my thought process is one: he's not going to win that grievance. I I don't know what the actual outcome will be, but it's not going to be. Him getting to free agency one year closer. I would be absolutely blown away if that was the case. My second point is this is not going to change or damage the relationship, I think, between the front office, Scott Boris, and Chris Bryant. If Chris Bryant wants to stay a Cub and the money makes sense on his part, he's going to stay a Cub. And, like by the way, if he does get one year closer to free agency, because of this grievance, which I don't think will happen, it it might kickstart some negotiations to extend them. I've always been operating under the idea that the Cubs are going to extend Chris Bryant. I, you know, things do change, and the state of the team has drastically changed within two years. But that's always been my belief, and this has no bearing on my belief. The fact that Chris Bryant, you know, and this grievance is coming to an end. It's been four years in the making. Chris Bryant likes the Cubs. He likes his presence with the Cubs. If he wants to stay with the Cubs,
3: the money makes sense. Guess what? He's going to stay with the Cubs. And, you know, I think the larger Chris Bryant situation in and of itself, is is a tough situation. You know, the Cubs don't have infinite money to deal with things, and Chris Bryant is going to be paid a very handsome amount of money. So at a certain point, you know, especially when you have so many guys who have the potential to be free agents at the same time, you're going to have to make those decisions. You're going to have to put your chips in one basket or another. So we're going to face these tough roads. But I, I think the hope, at least for now, is that we can get through these couple years and either get some extensions with some of these guys or or try to maximize the window that we have right now before they start diverging into a different plan with this roster. But it's a big deal and one that I I don't think any of us were really expecting was going to be going on when this news came out that this was happening. It was a surprise to I think right. everybody, and, uh, you know, again— Especially because
2: it was announced, like, two hours
3: after David Ross was Right, they was really buried the lead cry. on that one, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of those days where uh, I think it was Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation tweeted out, like, uh, this is the bigger news, guys. <laughs> like, I don't know why right. you're putting this after the Ross news. Love David right. Ross, but this is— Way more important. Uh, and again, like I, I think the biggest concern is the timeline of this. If they could wrap this up tomorrow, really, whichever way the decision goes, at least the Cubs could go into this offseason. And the periods that we just talked about in negotiating options and talking to free agents, with 100% knowledge of what the deal with Chris Bryant is, when you're talking about maybe it getting done by the winter meetings, you know that's in December. So that's one of those things where that's a pretty sizable period where the Cubs are going to have to be operating without 100% assurance of exactly what that situation is. So that's do not you great. think
2: that's going to do you think that's going to accelerate? Extension talks. Let's say there's a 10% possibility Chris Bryant gets one year closer to free agency. Even though you don't know from Theo's perspective, but it's a 10% uh, chance of that happening. Do you think this event is going to stimulate realistic uh, extension negotiations right now? Which you know maybe that's not a bad idea. Maybe Theo and and Boris and Bryant are like you know what, screw this entire process. Let's extend. Bryant for seven years, $250 million, whatever it ends up being. Right. Let's bypass this and let's, let's end this for both parties. I, I could seriously see that happening.
3: Yeah, I could see something like that happening. I mean, they, they could also consider trying to just sort of renegotiate these last couple years and right. get Bryant more money, avoid the arbitration process. And you know, even still allow him to be the free agent on the same timeline, but just sort of try to wrap this process up and pay him more yeah. uh I think anything might be on the table like i said this is this is an interesting bridge for for Theo in the front office to cross because again, Chris Bryant is an extremely important player and there's all sorts of ways to go about this. Like I said, you can try to maximize the years that you have. You can try to start those conversations about a long-term deal. I have no idea how those conversations would go. I, I you know, even for as much as I think Chris wants to be a Cub, and and he just very much seems like one of those guys that's a one-team kind of player. Um, he. It would get a lot of money on the free agent market. And I think especially when we see what happens with Garrett Cole in the coming weeks, it's going to be very difficult for him and Scott Boris, no matter what, to not test those waters. But uh, I
2: feel like over the last few years, though, that's not a certainty as it used yeah, to be. Yeah, that's fair. I mean,
3: like Bryce Harper and he's not going to be 26 like Harper, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And And we expected Harper would get somewhere... On the upper end of 300 million. He got 330. That's an insane amount of money, but realistically, people were expecting Harper to approach 400 million. Not only that, though, Corey, like Harper got 25 million per year. It's a 13 year contract, whatever it is. So his annual average value is no different, really, than Jason Hayward's. That's insane. So Harper got his money, but he had to sacrifice years to get the total sum Machado got his money and that's more of a realistic deal I think but I don't think it's as certain for players of Bryant's stature once they get to free agency that they're going to get their payday and Bryant has had his injury history and I know it's not not career debilitating but these are instances the teams use to negotiate against Chris Bryant. He's had two years now of injuries basically sidelining him for the second half. That, that may come into effect. Not saying I'm concerned about that. I'm saying that might affect Bryant's decision to settle with Theo Epstein at a price that makes sense for both parties. And I could see from Bryant's point of view, he is really marketable player. He does bring in a lot of money through Red Bull, through Adidas, through Express, where the difference between, let's say, $250 million now and $300 million in two years, maybe it makes sense just to settle down now, guarantee yourself, you get to stay with the same
3: team, your friends, you got David Ross as your manager, you get to keep things going. You know, if you're Theo Epstein, this is one of those things where you want to be able to look at what you're doing with Chris Bryant in a vacuum but you can't you, you have to really project out and I think Theo and Jed have both talked about this before where you know you can't just tunnel vision for one particular year or season you have to kind of look at everything on the whole, think about the future, etc. And that's how you're going to have to do this. Uh, but I will say the thought of Christopher Lee Bryant playing in Ugh. any other uniform makes me Can't absolutely happen. sick to my stomach. Can't happen. And I will reiterate, as I, I think that about wraps up this portion of the discussion, Chris Bryant is one of the best players in baseball. Full stop. You can come find me on Twitter at CF Cubs related. Brendan is at Cubs related. And we would be happy to indulge on this subject if you would like us to explain that further. But we don't tolerate any other version of Chris Bryant being discussed.
2: Actually, one last point about Chris Bryant. I do think it's worthy of discussion since we're talking about trade possibilities. Bryant... The fact that his grievance is going to be resolved probably by the middle of December, it doesn't mean that the Cubs can get this insane package back even if it is solved, right? Like even if it is one year closer to free agency or two years closer to free agency, it doesn't exclude the fact that he's going to be paid a lot of money through arbitration. He's projected by MLB trade rumors to make $18.5 million dollars next year. That's a lot. So if you're from the Cubs' perspective trying to go out there and get back players of similar value to fill a void of 6-7 to seven war, you're asking that team to pay for Chris Bryant's contract as well. The, the likelihood of that happening seems so slim to me, especially in this market. Teams are looking for Guys who can provide similar value as Chris Bryant by making half his salary. The, the days are gone that Chris Bryant is a, a an affordable commodity for a team. $18.5 million this year. And then as the year progresses going into 2021, he could be uh, getting paid... 21 million upwards to 25 million if he has another good year. So you're asking a team, hey, give me your best prospects, or give me your 26 year old guy who's going to be paid a little bit less than Chris Bryant but have more control. Give me those pieces, and by the way, we'll give you Chris Bryant, one of the team's best players, but you have to pay him almost 40 million dollars to keep him for the next two years. Do you see what I'm saying? That that's that's a very difficult thing to negotiate and from recent memory I can't remember any team doing that I I really can't we're seeing the Cleveland Indians talk about Francisco Lindor and the Dodgers going after uh, Lindor as a package as well but Cleveland's possibly in a rebuilding or a soft rebuilding type mode the Cubs are full throttle trying to win this division next year full throttle trying to win a division in 2021. Extend that win window because you have Rizzo locked up. You have your entire core locked up for the most part through 2021. If you trade Chris Bryant, you have to 1 billion percent be certain that you're going to get six war back. No doubt about it. It has to happen. You can't go trade Chris Bryant For the top prospects in the league and risk that because if you do that then why do you keep Rizzo he's gonna be 31 why do you go keep Javi his his peak could be right now right like why would you risk this win window by trading Chris Bryant because it doesn't make any sense to trade Chris Bryant give back prospects and keep the other guys around it's just in my mind that that's that's a conflict of interest right there so I think if Chris Bryant is going to you know even win his grievance. Doesn't matter in my mind. I doubt he gets traded. The Cubs could very well keep Chris Bryan for two years knowing he will be a free agent, but you're doing so with the knowledge that he's going to provide you in those two years a total sum of 15 war, the flexibility, the power, the positional uh, versatility, and that might be okay with you. Oh, were you not
3: thinking of his good looks as a positive... It's always, it's always possible. Sorry, Corey, d- come just on, me. No. Come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I've seen some discussion, at, at least in some circles of, you know, what the Cubs should do this off season, And, and one of them is, you know, maybe taking a step back a little bit and, and trying to do what you can to build for the future, et cetera. And obviously not a rebuild, but but not necessarily pushing all the chips in for 2019. And that's just not a strategy I'm going to agree with. And I think put simply, this team in this era and window, and the amount of money that they have coming in, they should never be taking a step back. This should be right. full foot on the gas every single time. And That doesn't mean you have to go crazy every offseason, and I'm certainly not naive enough to think that the Ricketts family runs this team like any other business, you know, unlike any other business, right? Like, we've talked about this before. We can want them to spend $400 million on the payroll. Certain things just aren't going to happen, whether we think that they should or not, right? But regardless of whether we're asking them to do anything crazy, like, this team should be at the top of the league in payroll every single year. They should be competing for a chance championship every single year full stop no questions asked so I don't like like you said Brendan it's all just to say if you want to move some of these players that's fine but you better be doing enough to keep competing at the same time with whatever you're getting back or whatever payroll flexibility you're getting the team should be just as competitive as it was before whether you're moving these guys or not and that's something that is the responsibility of the front office but you know, we always talked. And and like, I think this Nationals team is a good example of why at the end of the year, we were saying, just get in, just get into the playoffs, just get a ticket to the dance. And obviously, it sounds like a cliche at times. But you have a team and they spent a lot of money, the the Nationals on someone like Patrick Corbin, etc. And they offered Bryce Harper a huge contract, not the biggest contract, but they tried. So it's not some small market team. But they Got a wild card spot, they were vastly under five hundred in the middle of the season. They get a wild card spot. They knock out three teams, one of them was the best team in the national league in the Dodgers, and they were up two oh in the World Series, heading back for three games at home so mm-hmm. it's all just to say like when the Cubs are in a position that they are financially and with the the talent that they do have at the top of this roster, there should be no discussion of well, let's take a step back and build for you know 2021 or whatever it is right like no you got to be competing every year and if you want to move people that's fine but you have to find a way to replace it so i agree with you in that regard yeah
2: and looking to other teams across the league going off of that unpredictability topic the the nationals again they were what 19 and 31 somewhere around the midseason that's insane that they got to the world series and they're two games away from winning the thing before, about 10 years ago on Fangraphs, a lot of like, really good writers, uh, I believe David Cameron was one of them, looked at the idea of tanking. This was just before the Cubs tanked themselves and asked the question, does tanking make sense financially? And looking at the history of tanking, most teams who wanted to rebuild by getting a lower payroll and spending elsewhere, most of the teams failed. The Astros, they did not fail. The Cubs, they did not fail. They were the anomalies. Tanking usually doesn't always translate to success. But on another point, too, the way that baseball has changed within the last four years, I think that's going to spell more parity for teams. We saw it even in 2019. The Athletics, the Tampa Bay Rays, those two teams, the Minnesota Twins, those three teams, have been on the forefront of player development innovation. So that means there's an increased level of uncertainty on a year-to-year basis that was not seen even five years ago. There is o- there's always uncertainty in baseball. If you can predict with 100% certainty what a team is going to score and how many runs they're going to give up, the standard deviation or the you know the majority of the teams win versus win projection, is plus or minus six wins. So that means if you're projected to win you know, 86 games, it could go up to 92 or down to 80. And the reality is you can't predict with 100% certainty how many runs you're going to give up and how many runs you're going to score. That level of certainty is really like plus or minus nine wins, as many guys have written about in the past, like David Cameron of Fangraphs, who's now at the San Diego Padres that's going to increase i think I, I i really I really believe that, especially looking at some guys in the arizona fall league you 're looking at even guys with the cubs who are retooling their game, one pitcher in particular uh his name is Scott Efres, he's trying to change his pitch delivery, going from a more over-the-top to now a sidearm-type delivery. Look at another guy like Keegan Thompson on the Cubs who used to sit in the low 90s. Now we're hearing reports in the AFL that he's sitting 94, 95. You're seeing guys develop at trajectories and paces that we have never seen in this sport. That's an extra layer of, I think, uncertainty and another reason why maybe tanking while most teams are trying to do it in the next year or two, maybe it doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe you can invest in your team and in a span of 10 years, maximize as many win windows as possible by unearthing some guys with a lot of potential, but finding ways to unlock that potential. And that's why the Cubs hired Justin Stone. That's why they hired Craig Breslow to be their director of pitching and hitting, respectively. And I think that in itself, forget free agency forget taking all this the fact that you can go from a year to year basis and improve a lot of your guys within your system that's an extra layer of uncertainty that might
3: appeal for teams to keep trying to go out there and win it's it's going to be interesting over the next few weeks here like like I said we've kind of been waiting for this as the Cubs uh missed the playoffs as you you may have noticed uh so It's been a long time since we've really had stuff to sink our teeth into, but that is going to change once this World Series ends. And as we've said before, I would be prepared for just about anything. I think pretty much anything is going to be on the table for this team. You know, we already talked about Chris Bryant, but. We, you know, maybe we see some extensions. Maybe we see some very familiar faces traded. Hopefully, we see some new faces joining the fold. It's it's going to be an interesting off season for the Chicago Cubs. I, honest question, Brendan, are are you yes. excited for this off season? Are you? I am. nervous. I am. You're excited? No, I'm excited. Okay. I don't. I'm not nervous. I I've
2: grown over the last let's say five weeks to expect massive change. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. I've grown to appreciate what a lot of these players have done for the Cubs, but I don't know. I, I'm expecting this team to look so much different that I've gotten beyond the shocking point. Like, oh my God, Like we may not see some of these guys we've grown to love over the last few years. Maybe we won't see Kyle Schwarber in a Cubs uniform again. Maybe we won't see Ian Happ in a Cubs uniform again. In a weird alternative reality, maybe Chris Bryant won't be a Cub. That one's going to be a little bit more difficult to swallow. But point being, I'm excited because this is one, I think the first offseason since Theo took over where we're expecting massive change. 2015, that offseason leading into 2015, we got some change. 2016, we got some more change as well. That was predictable. This one is going to be so unpredictable for so many reasons. And yeah, I think for those reasons, you have to be excited about this. This is the most transformative offseason we've seen for the Cubs in seven years. So yeah, you have to be excited about it.
3: Yeah, I, I I would say that's where I am as well. I'm I'm prepared. I don't for,
2: I, I don't sense that though. You you're a little bit. Well, nervous. I mean, I, I okay. I'm,
3: I'm nervous just because I do expect that that some massive things may go on, but I think that's necessary. You know, as we've talked about, last season was completely unacceptable. So I've gotten to a place where it's like, all right, look, like this is what they got to do. So we got to be on board with it and. uh yeah, I I mean, like you said, there there's just certain guys who I would be devastated if they're they're not on this team anymore. There's certain guys I would be devastated if they are still on this team by <laughs> by the time next season rolls around. But I'm I, I'm on board with it being necessary. So I guess in that regard, I'm excited. I, I mean, obviously they can do worse than they did last year but only really in record right like they didn't make the playoffs it's not good enough and they gotta find a way to rectify that so I'm excited to see how Theo in his front office tries to do that as we heard from Ross today I'm excited to see him start getting his managerial chops and interacting with these guys and and seeing what that looks like so get ready, I guess is, is all that there is to say. Cause, uh, again, things really kick off once this, this world series ends and it's going to be a fascinating off season for the MLB. And I am looking forward to it. So I think other than that, uh, as we've talked about, we will come back to you on Tuesday morning again next week, unless something goes on with the Cubs that we need to jump on over the rest of this week or the weekend, and then when we talk on Tuesday morning, we'll probably have a better idea of an off-season schedule. Like I said, depending on how active or inactive the Cubs are, or you know just how active Major League Baseball is, uh, we can get back to that two times a week posting schedule if if uh, you know things permit that, um, and we'll. We'll kind of just have to see how that goes. But as always, we will keep you guys abreast of our planning and, and what we are thinking in that regard. If, if we get another offseason where it takes till February for any of the relevant free agents to sign, I... I'm not sure what Brendan and I would ramble on to you guys about, and as I always say, we don't like to do that. Uh, But if we can kind of get some things going here, we've obviously got this Chris Bryant situation, all the other contracts and free agents and trades we might see. So hopefully the Cubs are giving us uh, some good stuff to talk about, and we can do that. And Brendan and I will, you know, try to maybe have some fun conversations planned in there for you, Uh, because as we know, uh, the offseason is very boring and sad without Chicago Cubs- baseball and we like talking about it and hopefully you guys like listening to it so we'll try to get on as many times as is relevant and worthwhile for you guys to be listening to but other than that i I think that's all we have for you today so we thank you guys for downloading and listening to the cubs related podcast as always and we will talk to you guys next week and as always we end this podcast by saying go cubs
2: Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access
1: live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply.
2: Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required.
1: It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.